we're in our series now in the book of John, looking at the I am statements of Jesus. And, uh, and we find ourselves here with a, a pretty well-known uh, passage and, and a well-known verse, John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I, I think it's helpful to note uh, a few things that we'll see as we go along, the context of what's happening here, this line in verse 1 of let your heart uh, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. There's this, uh, this clear moment of Jesus speaking into a time when their hearts might be troubled. And we can think of all kinds of things that might trouble our hearts. And we're, we're, we're faced then with Jesus who is stepping into that and saying that he is bringing hope to the trouble, that he is the one to turn to in the midst of uh, the difficulty. And we long for this in life. We long for sometimes just a diagnosis of what the problem is and then the way to fix it, right? Uh, it, it happens in small ways and big ways. If any of you uh, at any point in life, so this probably applies to, uh, to all of us in some fashion, if you own something, and, and maybe particularly if, if you've been involved with owning a house or a car, if something goes wrong, there is this desire to know, one, what the problem is, and then two, how to fix it. And most often, that's calling somebody else that knows, right? So this last week, our dryer stopped working, and the question is, is it the control board? Is it a fuse? Is it the heating element? Uh, and I uh, needed to consult experts starting uh, online. Uh, we had a plumbing issue uh, not that long ago. And, uh, and the plumber comes in and uh, here's the problem and, and here's the hundreds of dollars that it's gonna take to fix it. And we find ourselves in the position of, uh, okay, I, I don't have any idea. I don't know how to fix this. Uh, and so we're a little bit at the mercy of somebody that knows and, and hopefully we find somebody that we can really trust that we think is both uh, knowledgeable and able to tell us what the problem is and then able to fix it. If it's a car, you, you want that reliable guy. When we lived in St. Louis, we had this mechanic who uh, we had all the confidence in the world that he, one, knew what he was doing and two, wasn't going to overcharge us. We had one of our cars checked out to have it sold and uh, one, our friend who was going to buy it from us took it to uh, a mechanic and he told him uh, this needs to be fixed and he was ready to do it, hundreds of dollars to fix this particular problem. And we took it to our guy and he said, yeah, it doesn't even have that part. I wish I could remember what the part was, but uh, it's like this car, it's not how this car works. Uh, and so we knew that he was going to be honest with us and he was going to fix it. We long for those moments in all kinds of areas of our life. The person that can come in and save the day, they can say the trouble that you're experiencing, well, here's what the trouble is, here's the problem, and here's how to fix it. And so we come to John 14, and Jesus is speaking into our greatest need. Uh, there's all kinds of trouble that the disciples are experiencing at this moment. The, the context is the Last Supper. They've just learned that, that one of them is going to betray Jesus. They've learned that Peter, uh, who is this incredible leader, he's going to betray, he's going to deny Jesus three times. Uh, and that's coming in the near future. So Judas is going to betray, G uh, Peter is going to deny, things are not going well. And into that moment, Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled. So 
as we come to this passage, my hope is that in all of the ways in which our hearts are troubled right now, uh, sometimes there is real uh, troubled hearts with the finances that come around owning a home or a car, or those kinds of things, but, but our, our hearts are troubled in deeper ways and not being able to connect and worrying about uh, health issues and uh, worrying about the, the state of relationships and our country and all of these things, our hearts are troubled. And, and I believe that these words from verse one, they, they speak to us and they bring hope to us. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me, Jesus says. And, and we're going to address a few different ways in which our hearts are troubled. The, the first is uh, not what the disciples were experiencing, but what we in our culture experience as we hear verse six. We live in a, in a culture that is incredibly pluralistic. And so this exclusive claim of verse six, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It troubles our hearts. So we're going to look at our, our, the fact that we're troubled by the exclusivity of the way. And then we're going to look at uh, being troubled by the end of the way. That is, even knowing where the way leads. And then finally, uh, we're troubled by the, uh, by the effecting of the way. I, I've, I stretched a little bit here with the ease, uh, the exclusivity of the way, the end of the way, and the effecting. That is the, the, the actual way to, to get to the end that Jesus has in mind. Uh, let me pray and we'll, we'll take a look. Lord, we pray that you would work in such a way that our hearts would not be troubled, that we would find peace and hope in you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We're troubled by the exclusivity of the way. We, we swim in a culture, in a world that pushes against any exclusive claims, particularly when it comes to religion. We live in what is rightly called the pluralistic culture. So there are all kinds of beliefs out there. And, and in the globalized world in which we live, they're all coming to us and we're going to them. And there's this mix of different beliefs about the world and mix of different religions. And we're surrounded by people who believe different things about God. And there's some statements that might be made in our culture that, that uh, would just be stated almost as, as fact and understood as fact uh, that become assumptions and they become the water in which we swim. And, and one of those statements is that all religions lead to God or all are basically the same thing. They just get there in different ways. That, that religions are, are basically about being good people or about meeting with God or loving others. And, uh, and, and so they, they all kind of do the same thing. Now, I, I think it's helpful to note that the Bible talks about the fact that we will find bits of truth even among those with whom we disagree about ultimate things. That because we are all created in the image of God, that we have had some truth laid before us because nature speaks, the psalmist talks regularly about nature speaking to the truth of God. Paul mentions this in Romans chapter one, that, uh, that the truth about God and who he is, is is revealed to us. Paul also addresses uh, the Athenians in Acts chapter 17, and, and he says, you're, you're right about these things, but you're, you're missing uh, some more significant truth. And so uh, there are bits of truth all around us, even from those who wouldn't follow the way uh, of Jesus. 
we need to recognize that, that that's true. But then we, we also need to recognize that if we actually understand uh, different religions, we, we would, it would not take us very long to see that they are incredibly contradictory. We, we confessed the Nicene Creed uh, just a few moments ago. Uh, we have for years confessed the Apostles' Creed. They say many of the same things. Uh, and and they, they give some very particular claims to who God is. And it begins to talk about the Trinity and the fact that Jesus is God and the Holy Spirit is God. That they, it speaks to who we are as, as sinners. It, it speaks to how we interact with the Creator and how He interacts with us. And, and very quickly, when you begin to compare to other religions or even compare other religions to themselves, you see that there are places where they are dramatically contradictory. That that it is uh, just not logical or reasonable to say that they all uh, agree with one another. Uh, no, it, they, they do not do that. And so we find ourselves in a place where, where we must either say either they're all wrong, or if we actually understand them and know what they say and know how they contradict one another, that, that one is right and, and others are wrong. It, it would be a completely separate religious claim to say that they're all equal. And that is a, a religious claim based on faith and not uh, consistent with any of the religions themselves. It's just one more way to understand uh, the reality of the world. So we find that uh, this, this statement begins to break down when we spend time with whether it's our scriptures or the, the religious beliefs of others. So uh, very similar claim, very similar statement that uh, we uh, might find all around us is uh, no religion is more right or wrong than any other. And again, this is a similar statement, but, but this in itself is, uh, is a very clear statement of fact and truth. One that, that stands as a judgment over all the others that would say my judgment of the fact that all uh, of religions are the same, or no one can stand above others, is in itself an exclusive claim of the ability to make a judgment. It's as if uh, we're watching gymnastics in the Olympics, and uh, and we, we see the, the feats that they're performing, and, and we recognize that they're amazing. Every, every gymnast who gets up there is amazing, and there might be one or two along the way who makes a, a major mistake, but oftentimes as uh, somebody from my perspective who knows that that I couldn't uh, accomplish any of these things, and, and, and none of us in our church could, or we'd be in the Olympics. Uh, Alzma might get close, but, uh, but most of us would be very far from being able to accomplish any of the feats that they do. And so we just said, you know what? They're all good, and they're, they're all equal, and just we're going to set the, uh, the Olympic judges aside, and we're going to give them all gold medals. Uh, and what we're doing is we're finding, you know what, I'm just going to change the, the rules. I'm just going to change uh, the lines of judgment. And I'm going to say that, you know, I, I know uh, and, and, you, and you do not. And what we're doing at that moment is we're setting aside all the work. We're setting aside all the standards by which gymnasts work for for years to accomplish uh, what they set out to accomplish. And we're saying that, that, that we know better. We find ourselves doing that here in the case of, of religion that, uh, that we begin to believe that, that we're able to judge. Um, but that's exactly, we need to recognize we, there are people who will disagree, right? Uh, and, and 
we need to be able to live to learn with those who disagree, to learn to live with those who disagree. But, but the fact is, we need to recognize that it is a statement of disagreement to say I'm able to judge and that they are all, uh, that it, they're all equal or that one uh, cannot be more right or wrong than uh, another. And we also recognize that in the midst of that, we have uh, this unique claim where God himself is coming into this world. This is the claim of Christianity to meet the need that we have, our sin and our brokenness and our separation from God. That is unique to Christianity. It, it is not a part of the story of, of other religions. Jesus is making continually very unique claims. Even to say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. To say the other things, the other I am statements that we've looked at. I'm the bread of life. I'm the resurrection and life. I have power over death itself. I'm the shepherd. I'm the door. And I'm the only one. These are unique statements that Jesus is making that he is either wrong uh, or others are wrong. That there is not this place for this middle ground. The last is one of the reasons these statements make sense to us is that, that we would say or hear it's arrogant and maybe even dangerous to believe that there is this exclusive truth. Now, we, we see that some of the ways that arrogance, uh, even with religion, has played out. And, and we must own the fact that Christians now sometimes are arrogant in their holding of, of truth. And, uh, and we need to see where the gospel actually pushes against that. And we also need to, to own the fact that through history that the name of Jesus has been used uh, to push forward arrogant and, and even violent uh, division, that there are places where it has been dangerous. But we also need to recognize that that is actually not what the gospel calls us to. That that's antithetical to the gospel. And that just because somebody attaches Jesus's name to it does not make it uh, consistent with Jesus and who he was. This is some of the, the, the pushback that uh, I, I've given and you've heard as we've talked about attaching Jesus and his name to either political party, that there is danger in that. And that's where some of that arrogance plays out. But we also must recognize that the, the, it is not true that the only way to avoid arrogance is to avoid truth claims. That, that is just not a reality. It gives us no place to stand in anywhere in our lives. And we also recognize the beauty of the gospel that it drives us away from arrogance. Let's remember the context here. Peter has just been told he's going to deny Jesus. And yet we know that Peter uh, is the one who begins to build. He's the leader at the beginning of the church of Jesus Christ. And we know that even after that, uh, he has to be called out by Paul. So, so years later, uh, we have this messy guy who is about to deny Jesus, who goes on to be the leader of the church, who then even after that has to be called out by Paul because he's missing deep truths about the gospel. This is consistent with the fact that God uses broken, humble people. He uses those who get it wrong. And, and, and he's meeting us because we can't get it right at every point. And therefore, we, we are called to hold truth with humility. That we're called to, 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 to be able to claim that this statement from Jesus is true, and yet we're able to do it with, with deep humility, with the fact that we're trusting in him and not in ourselves, that we can't accomplish it, that it should cause us to, to interact with others with that same humility. 
and recognize that what Jesus is doing here is by coming and offering himself as the way is actually this inclusive statement and act. He is drawing all in uh, to him. He's expanding the gospel and its implications beyond Israel to the whole world. He is, he is being radically inclusive by offering himself as the way, the truth, and the life. That's actually the work that he is doing. Now, part of understanding this deeply uh, is once we get past, and, and I don't know that we'll ever fully get past, this is, again, the culture in which we live and the water in which we swim, this, these uh, pushes against exclusivity, uh, these calls to, to make it arrogant, and, and I, I, we could spend a lot of time, a lot more time talking about those truths, and, and I encourage you, if those are questions or doubts that you have, let's engage those things. Uh, you, you can check out uh, Reason for God is a book that I often recommend by Tim Keller, but there are all kinds of uh, conversations that we could have, videos to watch, books to read. That, that could be a really long conversation, but if, if we're, we're able to trust in Jesus and, and even in the exclusivity, we, we have then the ways in which our hearts might be troubled in which the disciples were troubled. So this wasn't an issue for them. This, the, the water in which they swam uh, said, there's, here's truth or here's truth and there's a difference and here's the claim of truth and it's Jesus. And so the exclusivity claim wasn't an issue for them, but they had other things that troubled their hearts. And, uh, and Jesus speaks into that. The first is, they don't even know it, where Jesus is headed. And so they don't know where they're headed. And they don't even know how to think about the way because they don't know what the end is. The way to what? And, 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 uh, and Thomas says this, as, as Jesus has said, I'm, I'm going away. So this is troubling to them. Uh, I'm going away. Uh, my father's house, there are many rooms, verse 2. And I go there to prepare a place for you. Uh, if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself so that where I am, you may be also, and you know the way to where I'm going. But then Thomas says, um, actually, uh, I don't know the way because I don't even know where you're going. And th there's this clear need for us to understand what the end goal is. What's the direction to which we're headed? I, I think about uh, Watching The Amazing Race has been one of these shows that particularly Libby and I have watched throughout the pandemic. And there are enough seasons that we're still watching it uh, months and months later. But the, they travel around the world and they have different clues given to them to make it to the next place, the next uh, task they have to complete. And sometimes the clue is you're in this foreign country and you have to get to this place and you have to get there in a particular way. You can't take a taxi or you have to take public transportation or you have to go by foot. But the first thing you have to do is figure out where they're trying to get to. So you're, you're told, go to the Garden Bridge, but they're in China and they don't speak Mandarin and they don't know how to ask where it is. So they have to either get a translation or they have to have somebody who has a phone to look it up. They have to figure out what is the Garden Bridge. And then once they figure it out, then they have to figure out, okay, how do I get there? What's the best way to get there? But they first have to figure out where they're going. And, and Thomas here doesn't even seem to understand where they're going. Where is Jesus headed? Well, Jesus gives us this clear picture that's been consistent throughout all, all scripture is that the goal, the end, is relationship with the Father, with the Creator. Now, he's also tying in the fact that, that he's a part of that. We're, we're beginning to see... The, the truth of the Trinity 
being born out here. Believe in God, believe also in me. Jesus is, is connecting himself to God. We, we, we confessed in the Nicene Creed the understanding of the Trinity, of who God is and who Jesus is and who the Holy Spirit is, and they are all one God, the creator God, Yahweh, who wants a relationship with his people. And ever since the fall in Genesis 3, God has been working redemption, and the way that he's been working redemption is drawing his people into relationship with him. Some months ago now, I preached through Leviticus, and we looked at the fact that all these weird laws and rules, that the reason that Jesus gave those laws to them, these guidelines, was so that they could be in relationship with him. The reason that he set up the tabernacle, the reason that he set up the temple was so that the presence of God could be with his people, that he could be in relationship with them. That's the end. That's the goal. So as, as, as Jesus talks about his father's house, where there are many rooms for his people, he's talking about being in relationship with them. He's talking about living with them in his father's house. Uh, some of you know that when we left Denver uh, and we didn't know what was coming next for us as far as job and where we were going to live, we, we lived with my parents for, for over a year. And uh, it was great that they had rooms for us, yes. But the, the benefit was that we actually got to be in relationship with my parents in a unique way and that my kids got to spend time with their grandparents in really unique ways. So yes, there were really hard things about being in your mid to late 30s, uh, living at home uh, with your parents and your kids, but there were beautiful things. And the most beautiful thing was that living in relationship with my parents and my kids getting that opportunity. And we've talked about how thankful we are that uh, both my wife and I enjoy, Stephanie and I both enjoy uh, my parents. And so that was a blessing to be in relationship with them. And, and, and that was the thing that came in living in their house. It's some small picture of what Jesus is talking about here is living in the father's house is being in relationship with them. And then of course, he's very clear about it. And verse six, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father <clears throat> except through me. That, that what life is, what the truth is, and the way to get there is relationship with the Father. That's where we're headed. That's what he wants for us. And then he's, again, he's connecting himself to it. So believe in God, verse one, believe also in me. This is what the whole of scripture is about is being made right in our relationship with him. And, and what he's saying again and again is that we can't get there on our own. We're like Peter. We're the ones who are about to deny him. And yet even in the midst of that, Jesus is in Jerusalem in order to die. That's why he's gone there. That's why we saw last week when Jesus says, I'm the resurrection and the life. And he rose Lazarus from the dead, that the response to that was, we're going to kill him. That was what the leaders did. That's how they responded to Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. And that was very clearly on purpose by Jesus because he's headed to die. He's headed to suffer. He's headed to be the penalty for our sin. He's headed to, to fix what is broken about our relationship with the Father. And that's exactly what he does. We're, we're regularly called to evaluate what's, what's the end? Where are we headed? Do, do we think that the end is being a good person, of getting our lives together, having a moral order, or, or you know, having morality for our kids? Is it that we, we'd have, be able to get to heaven? Uh, you know, we think about this, this mansion with many rooms and 
And sometimes we think of the goal of Christianity as just to get to heaven, uh, misunderstanding exactly what heaven is and heaven being primarily where God is. So heaven being relationship with him. So that in the new heavens and the new earth and the future, it's, it's here, this made right living in relationship with him. Do we think that the goal is, is being comfortable or being accomplished or even loving people well or being a good father or mother or family member, whatever it might be? Those are many good things, but the end is relationship with the father. And, and, and we're called to regularly evaluate and say, is that the end to which we're headed? Is that what we're pursuing? Because what Jesus is saying is that's what he offers. That's what he offers. When he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, that's what he's saying he's the way toward. That's where he says real life is. So that we find ourselves then, if we think about the goal, then the question becomes, are, are we understanding or are we troubled by the way, how we actually get there? Because we'll often think, okay, I've got the way figured out, but uh, then we have to figure out how to get there. And we think that it's the things that I do. It's checking off a list. If I do these things, if I'm this kind of person, if I treat people in this way, then I'll have a relationship with the Father. And, and Jesus is pushing hard against that. He's saying, no, there's a, there's a different way. And we do have to understand it. Even if we understand where we're headed, where the way is leading, we need to understand the actual way. I, th I think of um, spending time on both, understanding the end and understanding how to get there. Uh, planes, trains, and automobiles, I'm dating myself a little bit, a, a movie from the 80s where Steve um, Martin's character uh, is with John Candy's character trying to get him home for the holidays. They had a, a plane canceled, a flight canceled, and so he gets in a truck with them and then a car and trains and you know, all the different modes of transportation. And there's this one moment where Steve Martin has fallen asleep in a car that they've rented and John Candy's driving. And uh, it's somehow in the confusion, uh, they, they have ended up in this uh, precarious spot. So they're driving down the road and they have somebody pull up, not right next to them, but traveling with them in the same direction. And they're yelling at them, yelling, you're going the wrong way, you're going the wrong way. And finally they roll down their window and they hear what's being yelled at them. You're going the wrong way. And John Candy says, how do, how do they know where we're going? Dummies. Um, and he, he's thinking about the destination, right? Where they're headed. But what they're saying is you're going the wrong way. You're going about it the wrong way because it turns out they're on the wrong side of the interstate. They're headed the wrong direction on the interstate. And so uh, it's a comedy, so everybody's gonna be fine. But there are two semis headed toward them and they just squeeze right in between the semis. Both side mirrors knocked off. Uh, they were going there in the in the wrong way. It didn't matter the direction they were headed, or I'm sorry, the their destination. They were going about it the wrong way, and we often go about getting to Jesus the wrong way, fixing our brokenness and sin, the things that trouble us. We try to do it on our own. We try to check off the list. We try to find that hope in other things. So we do at this point, mix the ends and the means to get there. Uh, we, we seek to find hope in the, the political spectrum. We seek to find it in uh, the, the social cares of our day. And again, all of those things matter. Following Jesus and following the way actually affects those things. But ultimately, there is the way, and it is to follow Jesus. And, and we're going to fail. We're, we're going to be 
be Peter who's going to deny Jesus. We're going to be Thomas who doesn't understand. I mean, Thomas and Peter now have spent about three years with Jesus. And, and Thomas still says, I, I don't get where, where, where are you going? And Peter is still about to deny him. And those are his people. Those are the ones following him. Th that's us. We're, we're, we're going to find ourselves in those places. We're going to get confused. And what do we need to do? We need to look to Jesus. We need to follow him. He's going to empower us to get there. He's the answer. Believe in God. Believe also in me. What, what does that uh, look like for us? Uh, he's not promising it's going to be easy. Remember, Jesus is here to go to die. Remember Peter and Thomas and where they're headed. They're going to start the church, but then they're going to die because they're going to proclaim Jesus as the way and the truth and the life. So he's not promising things are going to be easy. The way, the truth, and life isn't always easy, but it's headed in the place that we ultimately want to be. How do, how do we follow Jesus in, in this moment? Well, we follow him to, to sometimes to suffering, but we follow him to, to hope. We turn to him uh, in the times that we're troubled. We turn to him by reading his word, by memorizing his word, by spending time uh, with his people, uh, talking about these ultimate and deep truths and talking about how they uh, impact and interact with politics and uh, culture and our life decisions. We pray. Uh, I, I encourage you to, to spend time praying on your own, but to pray with, with one another. We pray in our worship service. We pray on Friday mornings at 830. If you're able to join us, please do. If, if, if you need encouragement to pray with others, then we'll come up with other times to pray together uh, on Zoom or in the future, gathering in person to do so. But we, we do these things that shape us and direct us to Jesus, to follow him. We're not going to be able to get there on, our, on our, our own. We trust and rely upon him. Believe in God. Believe also in me. This is where hope lies. This is where our ultimate needs are met. Our sin is dealt with. Our brokenness is dealt with. We're brought into right relationship with God, not because of anything that we're able to do, but because of who Jesus is and what he's done. Let's look to him and trust in him and find our hope in him. Let's pray. Lord, we do pray that you would remind us again and again that you're the way, the truth, and the life, that our end goal is relationship with you, with the Father, that we might have our sin done away with, broken, pushed aside, and be made right in relationship with you. Lord, meet us in our need so that we might not have troubled hearts, but that we might have hope that comes in following you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.